Good morning. You're here today. We do have a good number of people away. It is spring break, and so we hope and pray that those who are traveling will have a safe trip and be back with us very, very soon. We're going to be looking today at Psalm 122, and we want to talk for just a minute or two about creating a heart for worship. There are two spheres in the life of those of us who call ourselves Christians. The first would be our worship to God. And the second would be our work in the kingdom of God. And so today we want to think for a minute or two about our worship to Almighty God. And really as we think about worship, it is a key component in the life of Christians. And as we think about worship, there are some blessings that come with worshiping God on a regular basis. There are some benefits or byproducts, if you please. And so in Psalm 122, we have some characteristics or traits that I want to call attention to that I think help us to create the right kind of heart for worshiping God. The first thing that I want to call your attention to has to do with the people who gather for worship. And this really has to do with the assembly. In Psalm 122, 1, David in the long ago said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. In verse 4, he said, where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to the testimony of Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. In these verses, there are some powerful statements made by Israel's greatest king, David. David rejoiced at the thought of going to worship. I think there were a couple of reasons for that. One, David knew that he would be in the presence of God. Listen again to what he said. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord, to be in the presence of Almighty God. When we come to worship on the first day of the week, we are in the presence of Jehovah God. I think about what God said to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. When God called Moses, he instructed him to remove his sandals or shoes. He said, for the ground where you are standing is holy ground. Now, the ground per se was not holy. But I think what God was saying is what made that ground holy or place holy was his presence. When we come to worship, we are in the presence of Jehovah God. And I think that's one of the things that brought joy to the heart of David, to know that he was in the presence of God, that he would have the opportunity to commune with God. There is a second thing, and that is David understood not only would he be in the presence of God, but he would be with the people of God. Look again at verse 4. He said, where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord. There were three annual feasts that the children of Israel observed under the law of Moses. 
And they would go to Jerusalem to observe these feasts. Pentecost, the Passover, and the Tabernacles. A very solemn occasion. And probably the pinnacle of those feasts would have been the Passover. But nonetheless, God's people would assemble for the purpose of worshiping. When we come together, we are literally with family. We are with people of like precious faith, as Peter would talk about in 2 Peter chapter 1 at verse 1. And one of the great benefits of being together is the fellowship that we derive. You remember in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, the writer said, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And one of the things that comes to my mind as I read that verse is the mutual edification or building up that we receive from one another. When you are present in worship, it encourages me, it builds me up. And likewise, I hope that my presence encourages you. That's one of the great blessings of being together. If you go back and you look at the early church, one of the things that they did, they spent time together. One of the reasons, because they were family. And family breeds fellowship. Luke said in Acts chapter 2 at verse 42 that the early church continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. So our worship together affords us the opportunity to be together as family, but also it affords us fellowship, communion. We are with people of like precious faith. Think about the world. In the world, so many times we are with people. We're in the presence of people that don't think like us, they don't act like us, they don't go where we go, they don't do what we do, and yet when we come to worship, we have the opportunity for a brief period of time to be with people that are like-minded. We are in the presence of people that are journeying toward heaven. We have the same goals or aspirations, the same thoughts, the same mindset, our minds are in tune with one another. Amos in the long ago asked the question, can two walk together except they be agreed? To know that we are with people that think like we do. Now there's a second thing I want you to see in Psalm 122. And that is the person who is glorified in worship. Listen again to David. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Verse 4 again, where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord. To the testimony of Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. The aim of our worship is Jehovah God. Everything that we do in worship revolves around Almighty God. The psalmist in Psalm 95 said, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. The word worship means acts of reverence paid to deity. God is the one that we honor in our worship. He is the object of our worship. John in Revelation chapter 4 
In chapter 4, we have a picture of the throne room of Almighty God. And he said, you are worthy to receive glory, honor, and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. In chapter 5, we have a picture of the throne room of the Lamb. And again, he said, to him be glory, honor, and power. Be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Sometimes when we come to worship, I would freely grant that we miss the aim of worship. We live in a world today, in many respects, where people are out of tune when it comes to worship. They misunderstand the object, the aim of worship. You ever thought about the simplicity of New Testament worship? It's very simplistic. When we come to worship Almighty God, we engage on the first day of the week in five acts of worship. The acts of worship are directed to Almighty God. Sometimes people come to worship, and particularly when they come to the services of the church. One of the things that stands out is that, that we, don't, we don't have a choir, we don't have somebody singing a solo, we don't have a praise team per se, and there's a reason for that. The reason is because every one of us is the praise team, all of us. You see, Paul said in Colossians chapter 3 at verse 16 that we sing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. Our singing, for example, is directed to Almighty God. There is the vertical aspect of our worship. Now, I would grant that the benefits to us as worshipers is that we sing and make melody in our heart to the Lord, but we are speaking one to another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We are teaching and admonishing one another by the things that we sing. So there are some benefits to us, yes, but ultimately our worship is directed to God. And as we think about God and the fact that he is the object of our worship, let me give you some reasons why we why we ought to direct our worship to God. Number one, because he is our creator. The psalmist in the long ago, in Psalm 100, said, it is he that has made us, and not we ourselves. God is my creator. The Hebrew writer said in chapter 12, verse 9, that he is the father of my spirit. God made me, he made you in his own image and likeness to know that I have been made by the loving hand of Almighty God and then to think that he has created this universe and has allowed me the privilege of enjoying his handiwork. And then I think about God not only as my creator, but the Bible says he is our sustainer. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2 that he upholds all things by the word of his power. God is the one who is holding our universe in check. 
He is our creator, yes. He is our sustainer. And then there's a third thing. He is our redeemer. Behind the redemptive plan is God. God is the architect of the redemptive plan. Go back and look at the children of Israel. The children of Israel enjoyed redemption by the hand of Almighty God. God was the one that created a plan of redemption. His plan was in place before he ever made man. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, following the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, God had that plan ready to execute. And so, in verse 15, we have the unveiling of the promised seed. And throughout the Old Testament, bit by bit, piece by piece, God begins talking about the coming of the Messiah, the Lamb of whom John said was slain before the foundation of the world in Revelation chapter 13 at verse 8. To know that God cared enough about me as a member of the human family to make a plan of redemption so that I can enjoy the blessings of forgiveness. To know that I can be cleansed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And so, yes, God is my creator. He is my sustainer. He is my redeemer. And then he is my benefactor. When I think about directing my worship to God, one of the things that comes to my mind is the fact that every blessing that I enjoy in life comes from one source. That's God. God is the one who has blessed us richly with all things. James said in James chapter 1, every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Do you remember what the psalmist said in Psalm 68 verse 19? Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits. And then Paul in Colossians chapter 4 at verse 2 would say, continue steadfastly in prayer, watching therein with thanksgiving. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul said, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Worship affords me the opportunity to be thankful to God. I'm worshiping God because I understand that he is the source of every blessing I enjoy. Paul, in his sermon on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17, said that God is the giver of all life, breath, and all things. Everything that you have comes from a loving God. And when we come to worship, we are coming before the one who is our creator, our sustainer, our redeemer, and our benefactor. He blessed us richly. Now, God is not only the object of our worship, but God is the one who orders our worship. Under the old covenant, God directed the children of Israel on how they would approach him in worship. You can go back and you can look at the period of the patriarchs. You can read about the Mosaic dispensation and then you come to the Christian age. Under every dispensation, God has always directed his people on how they will worship him. 
God has never given man the latitude to dictate how he or she will worship him. You see, Jesus said, God is spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The absolute of worship is underscored in that word must. We must worship God. How? In spirit, that is with the right attitude, and in truth, that is by his authority. God is the one that directs us. We talk about the five acts of worship. Who decided on those acts of worship? God did. I said a minute ago that when you look at the New Testament, there is the simplicity of our worship. When we come together, every act is important. Every act involves the human heart. Think for a minute about the art of worship. I have to train my mind to engage in worship. When I partake of the Lord's Supper, I am reflecting on the death of Jesus. When I partake of the bread, it reminds me of the body of Jesus. When I drink the fruit of the vine, it reminds me of the blood shed on Calvary for my sins. And Paul said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death till he come again. With regard to our singing, Paul said, we sing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. The instrument that is employed in my worship to God is my heart. That, that's really the instrument that I'm to use. And so, God is the one who orders my worship to him. Paul would say, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father by or through him. That means simply to do it by his authority. Whatever we do. Everything that we do, it has a thus saith the Lord attached to it. Peter would say, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. That's all we're doing. We're appealing to the word of Almighty God. Now, there's a third thing I want you to see in our study. And that is the purpose for going to worship. The psalmist here talks about, in a very candid way, the purpose behind our going to worship. And so... Look again at what he said. Look at verse 4, first of all. He said, Where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to the testimony of Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. One reason we come to worship is to learn the precepts of God. You see, David here talks about the testimony of Israel. You remember Ezra, the scribe in the long ago? Ezra taught the people of Israel, according to Ezra chapter 7 at verse 10. He had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach its statutes and ordinances. When we come to worship, one of the things that we're doing is we're coming to learn about Almighty God. Why is it we preach the Bible? You ever wondered that? I understand that this is one of the acts of worship. 
But what are the benefits of listening to the Bible being preached? Well, number one, the Bible, preaching the Bible, has the ability to save the soul. There's not another message known to man that has the unique ability to save the soul like the Bible does. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek in Romans 1.16. You see, God's word has the ability to save your soul. And so, every time we preach and teach the word of God, the hope is that it will reach the lost. Now, sometimes... Sometimes it does, and sometimes it doesn't. But the message is powerful. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 at verse 2, his instructions to Timothy, Timothy, preach the word in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. We keep preaching, we keep teaching. Why? Because we understand that Bible preaching has the ability to save the soul. But there's a second reason. And that is, the Bible has the ability to steer the soul. The psalmist in the long ago said, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. When you and I get out into the world, we are bombarded by all kinds of information. And sometimes when we get out into the world, we find ourselves off track in our thinking, our actions. Sometimes, sometimes, spiritually speaking, we find we don't measure up. And so when the Bible is preached, what does it do? It helps get us back on track, doesn't it? It helps to steer me in the right direction. The intent of God's word is to lead me safely home. That's what God wants. He wants me to take this book Use it as a compass so that I can safely find my way home. Now, in the world, there's not another book that I know of that's going to help keep you on track. Think about your family for a minute. You ever have problems with your family? You ever get off track in your marriage or in the child-rearing process? You ever get off track in your relationship to other people? What's going to help you get on track? The Bible is. God's word has that ability. And then there's a third thing that I think about. Bible preaching has the ability to stir your soul. The psalmist in Psalm 85 said, revive us again. Sometimes my faith is not what it ought to be. Sometimes I wilt under pressure. Sometimes my faith is lacking. And yet the, ability, the Bible has the ability to invigorate my soul. Do you ever get discouraged? Do you ever get despondent in life? Is your life ever filled with anxiety and worry and trials and tribulations and you feel like giving up? The intent of Bible preaching is to encourage, to stir, to invigorate. And sometimes we miss that. In Hebrews chapter 12 at verse 3, the Hebrew writer talked about the importance of running with patience the Christian race. 
And he encouraged his readers to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he said, it sat down at the right hand of God. He said, consider him who has endured such hostility or gainsaying of sinners, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You see, God's word can stir your soul. It can invigorate you. It can increase your faith. There's another thing that Bible preaching will do. We talk about coming to worship to learn the precepts of God. That is, it will strengthen your soul. One of the ways that we derive strength, physically speaking, is by nourishing our body with the right kind of nutrients. We eat a balanced diet, don't we? If I'm going to, if I'm going to strengthen my inner man, my soul, then I've got to feed on spiritual things. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4. He said, it's written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Did you know that God's word can strengthen your soul? Look at, look at, look at the world. Every time you go out into the world, you are bombarded by the devil, aren't you? What's the devil trying to do? Circumvent your faith. The devil's trying to destroy my soul. The devil's doing everything within his power to decrease my faith to dampen my spirit, to discourage me, to bring me down, to destroy me. And yet, if, I'll, if I will, if I'll, if I'll take on a balanced diet of the Word of God, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to grow stronger every day. Peter in 1 Peter 2, 2 said, As newborn babies desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Peter said, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Every time you come to worship, every time that I come to worship, one of the byproducts of studying the Word of God is spiritual strength. And spiritual strength produces spiritual stamina. Christianity is not a sprint. It is a marathon and we understand that marathon runners sometimes they hit a wall sometimes they feel like giving up can't afford to give up you gotta, you gotta stay the course in Christianity we have to stay the course we have to be strengthened we have to do everything within our power to be as strong as we can so those are some of the blessings that we enjoy from the preaching and teaching of God's Word. I think about the strength that we derive by studying Scripture. If we don't study Scripture, we're not going to be strong, we're not going to have the stamina that we need to make it. And then there's one other thing I want to say along these lines, and that is Bible preaching will secure your soul. One of the things that one of the responsibilities that I believe that I have as a preacher is to give you confidence in your relationship to God. And the only way that I know to build that confidence is to show you that if you follow the Word of God, 
if you will live according to the precepts of God, you'll go home to be with him one day. Whether we like it or not, unless Jesus comes first, we're all going, we're all going to feel the sting of death. It's coming. And, and so what, what I want to do is equip you so that when you come to the end of the road here on planet earth, you are secure in your relationship to the Lord. That you know without a shadow of a doubt you're going home to be with Almighty God. Listen to what Paul said. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him until that day. That is rock solid confidence. The only way you can have that kind of confidence is by knowing the word of God. And knowing that your life is in harmony with that word. And so every time you come to worship, what does that do? It, it instills greater confidence. It gives you assurance. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For I know, we know, that if the earthly house of this tabernacle be dissolved, in other words, if this physical body gives way to death, we have a building of God. We know we have a building of God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. How can you have that same kind of confidence? By this book. That's why we come to learn the precepts of God. When do we do that? When we worship. There's a second reason, a second purpose behind our worship. Not only do we come to learn the precepts of God, but we come to lift up praise to God. Look again at verse 4. Well, look at verse 1, first of all. Note, if you would, the gladness. David said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Sunday ought to be a glad day for those of us who belong to the people of God. It ought to be glad to us to be with the people of God, to be in the presence of God. Look at David's attitude. We're coming to praise Almighty God. We're coming to be in His presence. That ought to bring gladness to our hearts. And then there is gratefulness. David said in verse 4, Where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to the testimony of Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. When we come and offer praise to Almighty God, we are giving Him thanks. That's one of the things that we do. We acknowledge His great blessings. And then there is the fact that we come to bring Him glory. Who is glorified in our worship? God is. Paul said in Ephesians 3 verse 21, Unto him be glory in the church. When the church assembles, you have the opportunity to bring God glory. I have that opportunity. And so we come to lift up praise to Almighty God. Again, he is the focal point of our worship. He is the reason we're here. Now some of the points, some of the things that we have discussed today, no doubt are, are, they, they interconnect. Worship is a great blessing. And I think the challenge is to create a heart for worshiping God. Let me say this. The better we understand the nature of God, the better we understand the importance of worship. 
the better we understand all that God is and all that he's done for us, the better we can understand and appreciate the opportunity, the privilege of being together. It may be the case that you're here today, you're not a Christian. And we want to take this opportunity to invite you to become a member of the church, to become a part of the body of Christ, the family of God. Here's what you need to do. First, you need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus came so that we might have life and have it more abundantly. If you believe Jesus is the Son of the living God and you would be willing to repent of your sins, as Peter said in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, and you will confess his name before others, as the eunuch did in Acts 8, verse 37, and be baptized or immersed in a watery grave of baptism, you will contact the blood of Christ, which washes away all sin, according to Revelation 1, 5. God will then add you to his church, Acts 2, 47, where you will be in, endowed with every spiritual blessing known to man, Ephesians 1, 3. And if you'll be faithful till death, the promise is the crown of life. If you're here today and you're not faithful to his cause, could we as part of the family of God, could we pray with you and for you? James said, confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you. And God will abundantly pardon, 1 John 1, 9. Would you come as we stand and sing?